Hello folks, we're back. Welcome to the first episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged of 2024. In fact, we're back with a bang because my guest today is the biggest star ever to ride out of perhaps the smallest town in the Netherlands. That's the Netherlands. I'm talking about Walt Poles, of course. Now, what can I tell you about Wout? Well, he's very good at racing bikes and has had a long career so far. and been a pro since 2009. In fact, that gives us a two-year overlap, in fact. He's ridden for quite a few teams in his time, including Amiga Farmer Quickstep, Vacon Soleil, and Team Sky, and has now been with Bahrain Victorious for five years. We talked about the time we raced together back in 2010 at the TOB, Tour of Britain, uh, which is apparently Wout's favourite ever stage race. Um, find out how he got on against my good self. I can tell you what, it was actually pretty close. There's a meaty chunk of chat on the topic of nutrition. Two puns intended there. Uh, what else? Um, he talks about how it's pretty dangerous to throw your hands in the air while celebrating a victory at the Tour of Britain in case you get blown off your bike. Who knew? Devon can be quite windy. And there's a brief mention of his two Grand Tour stage wins. Only joking, he goes into a lot of detail about how he beat the other Wout at the Tour de France and how he beat Remco at the Vuelta. And of course, he had an extensive knowledge of his hometown, Blitzweig, because it's about the size of a postage stamp. So, kick off your clubs. <laughs> clubs? <laughs> you can kick off your clubs if you lump. If you lumped. <laughs> It's my first pod back. I needed a bit more of a warm-up. I've hit this one dry. Let's try that again. So, kick off your clogs, sit down with a coffee and a stroop waffle, and come up with your own Netherlands cliches if you like, because this is the Wout Poles episode. Got there in the end. You know it's that time again. Podcast. Walt Pohl started riding a bike before his memory began, and perhaps that's because he's from the Netherlands, where cycling is so deeply embedded in the culture. One of the elder statesmen of the pro peloton, he's had a decorated career so far, with stage wins at the Vuelta, the Tour de France, four Tour of Britain stages, and he even won Team Sky's first ever monument when he crossed the finish line at Liège, Bastogne-Liège in 2016, before driving home and partying with his fan club. But what are the odds that his fan club were based in the only bar stroke pizzeria? Pizzeria? <laughs> oh, no, I thought I've been saying pizzeria wrong. Oh, pizzeria, pizzeria. But what are the odds that his fan club were based in the only bar stroke pizzeria in Bittisweig? And the hometown quiz happened to base a question on that very establishment. Or do you know the answer? There's only one way to find out, folks. Check it out. Welcome to Matt Stevens Unplugged. Well, Poles, it's great to have you on, mate. Yeah, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> Before we crack on, um, I do know that you're in your bedroom, uh, probably sat on the bed, but where in the world are you? Um, I'm sitting in a chair, but uh, I'm at home in uh, Monaco. In Monaco? Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. Very nice. And um, you just come off the back of a back of a training camp, haven't you? Yeah, uh, one half week ago, we were in uh, Altea. So that was uh, actually a really good camp with the team. And um, what can you see immediately around you in this room? What can I see? Uh, you, myself, <laughs> my bed, <laughs> my legs. <laughs> okay. I, I just What I like to do at the start of the podcast, well, is just... If people are just listening, just so you can paint a picture of your surroundings. Ah. 
Yeah, yeah. I also can see a closet, some pictures. Okay. Okay. Uh, a door cage. Very nice. Okay. Yeah, not really nice, but that was more to train him because he wanted to sleep in the bed. Ah. And I don't like that. So then we put him in the cage and then he doesn't like the cage anymore. So then he goes to the living room. Okay. Yeah. I, I take it this isn't a child. This is a, this is a pet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is not my son. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes if he doesn't listen, I also put him only for two hours in. So, I mean, okay, that's okay. No? All right. And the, well, yeah, that's, that's absolutely fine, mate. That's absolutely fine. No, no, no. I was a bit worried then. It was a child gate that you were like, and I thought, yeah, I had kind of images of um, other things. But, no, uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so the picture on your wall, is it of you? Um, no, it's from my uh, girlfriend, horse. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Your, go- your girlfriend's horse? Yeah, but it's not live anymore. It died uh, last year. Very sad. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry about that, mate. So is your girlfriend into like a equestrian or something then? A what? A, a horse racing or equestrianism? Uh, yeah, no. When she was young, uh, she was doing that with the horse, but then the horse was getting old. She couldn't ride it anymore. And then it was only standing in the field. And um, yeah, then it passed away at one point. That's yeah, pretty sad. Yeah. 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 Sorry to hear that, mate. Well, let's, let's, um, let's look back. Before we before we look forward, mate, let's be honest with you. Twenty twenty three, they said twenty four. Then twenty twenty three. What an amazing season! I thought we wanted to start season. in two thousand ten. We can start in two thousand and ten, but we I'm gonna this, <laughs> because we raced together, didn't we? Yeah, in 2010. yeah. You also checked already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I tell you what, let's do that then. Let's go back in time. Let's go back to two thousand and ten because. I think it might be, I can't remember any other times because I'm, I'm racing from a different generation, really, but we did race the Tour of Britain, yeah. didn't we, in 2010. Yeah. Can you remember me much? Because I was, I was normally near the back and you were quite often at the front. Yeah, n- not, not really, to be honest. <laughs> not from the race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Was- this is what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, it was, I do remember you um, after you won that stage. Because um, over the years, you actually won four stages of the Tour of Britain. It's yeah, a race that you clearly liked. Yeah, I really liked. Uh, I still like. I did like four times, and every time I was there, I won a stage. So, uh, yeah, no, I really like it there. What, why do you like the Tour of Britain so much? What was it, something about the road that you liked, or, or what was it? Because a lot be- of guys the, do come over. The beautiful and, weather. And really like it. Sun. Beautiful weather. <laughs> Sun, no rain. No, it can be really nice with the weather, but also really bad. No, I don't know. I think the roads, uh, yeah, like not super technical, but also not easy. You always go up and down, left, right on these small roads with, what do you call it, with the hedges next to it. I don't know. Yeah. It's always a pretty fun race to do. And the stage that you won, I'm just firing up here, was to Tainmouth. And I remember that day. So this is That was bad weather then. You won uh, oh. 26 minutes, I think. Oh, thank you very much. That's good. <laughs> You've been doing your homework. Yeah. Okay. Let's just, okay. Let's just, so the tour of, um, I'm just going to get these stats up here. So there we go. You won the stage four hours 30 mm. and I was 26 minutes down in a group with. It was a big group. Well, I was actually 30. I was top 40 on the stage. Not bad. I was 39th, which isn't bad. But it's, but- it's a nice story because in the morning I heard I was going to the world championship in uh, Geelong that year. 
So the coach called me because one rider, I don't know, crashed out and I was first reserve. So that was really nice. So he called me that I could go and then I won the stage in the afternoon. So that was really nice. That's really cool because yeah. it was because you'd been a pro for a few years by then. You'd been with Vacon Soleil for a yeah, while. Yeah, that was but, my um, second year. So uh, yeah, and and that I, remember, I do remember that stage because it was through very. You talk about liking the Tour of Britain because of its narrow roads, and this was in Devon, um, and it was super hilly, wasn't it? But very very small roads. Yeah, and, uh, like short climbs, uh, bad weather, rain. Uh, it was a hard race, hard day. It was super, super hard. Just, can you remember when you attacked to go clear? Because it was almost like a downhill finish, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, I think I attacked on the last little kick. I think we were in a break and then people were attacking, attacking. And I just did it in the right moment. And then I had to do that little, not super twisty downhill, but was pretty slippery. And uh, yeah, then I just made it. I remember when I went with my arms in the air, was pretty windy. I almost, uh, I almost crashed. But you know, like it was also really fast down to the handlebar again. Yeah, it was. Um, I remember that. Yeah, we. I don't. You wouldn't know because you were obviously in the breakaway, um, and we were in a group. I think we had we had Bradley Bradley Wiggins in our group as well. Yeah. So we had quite a lot of guys that that missed it. Um, and the organizer of the race told us that we were going too slow, and he would disqualify us or or taking away our prize money so we had to start riding even harder but we were actually riding hard because anyway. you go too slow yeah yeah <laughs> seriously okay yeah so obviously you you wouldn't have known any of that but we were disqualified for for basically not making us the race look professional because we were riding too slowly uh -huh. but but that first part of the stage mate that was so fast wasn't it it was i, I well I, I wasn't obviously as going that well but i just remember it being so so hard and it was quite wet through these little roads yeah yeah, yeah. The break with it, yeah. you know but um that yeah. is that's the tour of great race indeed mate indeed so without dwelling too much on me um losing 26 minutes that was when we raced together i remember seeing you i actually remember seeing you in the hotel that night um we went in that we, we were in the lift together and i said well done mate and you said thanks very much but you don't remember that, do you? No, and my English was uh, not so good at that time. All oh, right, okay. I, okay. I guess I well done. I understood. <laughs> you did. You you did nod. You did nod. But you were obviously thinking about things. But yeah, I, I remember that was how hard that stage was. But that was, yeah, my my first real. That's really. You, I think it's fair to say you you kind of burst onto the scene and um, you've been a really interested like, for me as a, as a commentator and a fan of the sport. A really intriguing rider how you've kind of developed and arguably the last few the, the latter part of your career in your 30s has been where you've really just got better and better and when you look at what happened in in 2023 the stage win in both grant like the Giro, sorry the uh the vuelta and the tour shall i say i mean what do you put that down to because uh, i mean you you're just maturing like a fine um wine from the netherlands um do they make wine in the netherlands i'm not too sure no idea Maybe someone. They, they might do, might they? Yeah. I've never heard of any. any. Anybody who's listened to the podcast, get in touch because we'd like to know. But what do you put that down to? What do you think the secret to your success quite late in your career is? Well, yeah, like, I don't know. I always work really hard, but I think everyone in professional cycling is working really hard. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a pro, of course. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just still really enjoy 
training hard, uh, going to racing, training camps, altitude camps. I, I just really enjoy it. And I think that's also part of the success to always commit to do everything right and, and try to be the the best of myself. And and there's one thing that, I, that I've noticed a lot. You're always smiling, mate, aren't you? Smiling I mean, is for free, yeah? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> smiling is for free. But it's such a hard sport. I mean, there are some great characters in that sport and generally a lot of the guys look like they're having a good time. But you in particular, you always seem very relaxed and you always seem like you're having fun. Were you like that when you were younger at school? Was it, were you no, I, not a joker, but were you somebody who really enjoyed no, enjoyed life? You know, I'm, I'm a little bit like we are so many days on the road yeah. with each other and like, you know, and also in teams, riders come, riders go or yeah, you, you change teams and, and it's always difficult to, to call them, you know, friends because there's so much going on all the time. But it's better always to have a good time with each other on the road than that everyone is a little bit like, uh, yeah, just like sort of neutral. Like I always prefer yeah. to have like a, a nice time if you go to the tour or Giro or Vuelta. It's better to have four nice weeks than that you're like, hmm, yeah. But just one week too long. Happy I'm home. Yeah, yeah. It is, that's the thing. It's uh, an increasingly... Over the last over the last three, four, five years, I think it's fair to say, although riders' race calendar at the world tour level anyway mm. is slightly less days, you're away from home more because you're altitude so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the cams and everything. So uh, yeah, it's better to have done a nice time with each other and then have a laugh. And you know, sometimes people. Okay, I also take it really serious. If I'm training, I'm like all the time on my power meter and you know we're doing the laps and uh, do exactly what I need to do. But yeah, you also have to, you know, enjoy it. Eh? Also in the yeah, races, like sometimes people are so serious and if it goes bad, okay, you can be down, but some people are, yeah, it's not the end of the world. At the end is uh, sport what we do, no? Yeah, yeah. And what do you think you've, because over the, over the last few years, as the sport's been evolving and, and this, over the last couple of years, well, year, year or so, when I t- do the, these podcasts, especially with a current professional, it's a question that I, I, I ask everybody because I, everybody has a different idea and a different perspective. Mm-hmm. But can you just explain to me, well, it's, t- it's two, twofold. For the first part of the question is just describe what the evolution of the sport has been like for you personally since, since lockdown because we've seen these big riders, these young riders come in, be just very disruptive. The racing is far more di- dynamic unpredictable and you have to train in a different way to adapt but from your perspective Wout what has that been like? No I I think especially with the young riders who come over I think they know a lot more than when when I became professional like they're already on a way higher level to uh, to step in like with uh, nutrition with training with altitude camps with with, yeah like if I go to Tenerife sometimes you see already on the 23 riders training there and my first altitude camp i ever did was with uh, with sky and i was 27 so you really see like they are way more professional also the all the teams like all the world tour teams who have conti teams or like uh, uh, development teams you you see they are like training like how we train like the professionals yeah. and and i think that's why they step in straight away on a really high level um, it's going to be interesting to see how long 
uh, they're gonna write for because I'm now uh, 36. Um, but if you are 20, 21, you come over and you really live already like on that level. How long can you do that also mentally? But yeah. we're gonna see that in 10 years, 10 year time. Yeah, it, I think that's a that's a really interesting point, and it's the point that a lot of people have raised because of the intensity to to maintain the sort of level that you have to to be competitive at world tour. Yeah, the amount of dis- the amount of discipline is incredible, isn't it? And um, we'll see. I, I hope riders are around for as long, but I kind of think that there might be a bit more burnout. What are your thoughts on that? We yeah, don't know the I mean, it's really outdoor. interesting. Like you know, I always like to enjoy what I what I'm doing and what I did in the past. And, uh, yeah, I'm not really struggling now that I'm like, it gets really long because then I, I would quit already. Um, but yeah, the, I don't know. Uh, um, yeah. If they really like to do that for 15 years, but yeah, we will see, I guess. Yeah. I think it's keeping, I mean, enjoying the sport is something that I think helps with longevity, doesn't it? And the yeah, fact that you. Th- that's the main thing. Scared, if you, if you don't yeah. like it anymore, then it's over. If you don't, yeah. if you look out of the window and you're like, nah, today I stay home, uh, I'm going to do something else, then uh, then it's time uh, to retire. And how have you adapted to the, the new training that's required? You say that these yeah. under 23s are coming in. So there's, I know there's been a lot of shift in training, fueling, recovery, more time at altitude. So how, I mean, you, you've clearly adapted very well mm-hmm. because the results show that you are still one of the best riders in the world, mate. You, with that, there's no doubt. But how have you had to adapt personally? And how yeah, have you found it, it that? It goes process? easy. It goes year by year. Like with your coaching, yeah. like then you do a little bit different training. Then the nutrition comes with like uh, like really high carb fueling in the race, uh, um, things like that. So with me, it goes like, yeah, every year you do something different or they come with something new or so you adapt like step by step. So it's not suddenly from when I turned pro in 2009 till, till now that you say, Oh yeah, that was the big uh, game changer. So it's more of a gradual process yeah. for you. Yeah. But has there been something that's, what's the most significant change though that you've seen? Although it is a gradual process. Mm, I mean, there's, yeah, the I think also with the nutritions, they, when I came pro, I even didn't know how much you needed to eat on the bike or like, yeah, I, I just was eating when I was hungry. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. your body say no when you need food now. But uh, yeah, the, so yeah. Um, and then the team, yeah, I think we even didn't have a nutrition at the beginning. And like things like that, but I think with the with the nutrition, it's really step up, like weighing your food uh, in the race, make a whole uh, fuel plan, what to eat, what to drink uh, after the race, recovery, yeah, all of that stuff. And do you do you like that side of it? Did you like being told? I'm actually, I mean, because I know that uh, I know about these fueling strategies, and, and they are fascinating, and we know how much. And I was chatting to your teammate, Fred Wright. And I think in Flanders, he said he was looking at 120, 130 grams yeah. an hour. Finished Flanders and felt tired, but he felt full. Yeah. <laughs> Which normally you, you just don't, doesn't happen, does no. it? So what about that from, from your perspective? Has yeah. that been quite easy yeah. to adapt to? Or? Yeah, that, that just training. I have to say, I quite like to make a fuel plan for the race because then you know in the race, if I do with the food everything right at least i can get a hunger flat i mean you almost don't see people getting hunger flats anymore on the bike 
Yeah. Uh, in the past, we had that sometimes a little bit more in the mountains. It was pretty nice to see, you know, when someone like, boom, exploded. And you're like, whoa, what happened there? Oh, hunger flat. Yeah, you almost yeah. don't see that anymore. So I really like it to have like, uh, that I know like, okay, if I eat this, this, and this, then I don't have to worry on the last climb. Then I'm, then I'm okay for that. Yeah. So to the whole process of fueling, I mean, when I was pro, sometimes, especially in a long stage race, the first few days eating would be good fun. And then as you become more tired, it becomes more of a process. Yeah, yeah. What's it, what's, what's it like for you? Cause sometimes eating that amount of calories is actually quite difficult. It can yeah, be. Yeah, you really strange. have to train your gut. Like I do it now at home also, like sometimes also like uh, 90 to 100 grams an hour just to train your body to to absorb that. Yeah. Because if you're going to do that out of the out of the blue, like, yeah, I think it's a big, uh, big shock for the body. But it's like sometimes it's like incredible how much we eat, like on the bike, off the bike. It's like, and then you see how skinny we are. I think some people don't believe that, like how much we're eating in a Grand Tour. Yeah. And is it in, in Bahrain? I mean, there, there are teams, obviously the top, top teams, there's similarities, but there's obviously different ideas because everybody, every team wants to have that edge on another team. And without like, giving everything away though, do you have, because it's just interesting, I think for people to, to hear, but do would you have in the Tour, for example, a Wout Pulse, plan and then some something else for fred something else for pello for example yeah yeah yeah. everyone uh, how, how have like everyone have their personal plan like yeah. the yeah the nutrition makes a plan for you uh, uh yeah what to eat after the race uh in the evening uh breakfast yeah i've got all my numbers there so that's for everyone different because yeah i'm a different way than fred of course and maybe if there is like a really hilly day that really suits me I have a different uh, nutrition plan than him. Wow. So does that, does that include weighing your, so you, your nutritionist and the chef will obviously, team chef will work together with the coaches and you'll have a, a plan and you, does that include actually weighing your food and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Weighing the food. Yeah. And, and you're, you're good with that. Cause I know I asked someone. I the have tour, to say at home, I almost never do. Hmm. I almost don't weigh my food time because I'm, I think I'm pretty lucky or, that I'm always like on good race weight. I don't really have to push to go really low. And, but on the races, I really like to do it. The same a little bit like with I uh, said before in the race to have a fuel plan. I also really yep. like to have after the race because sometimes I have the feeling I don't eat enough. And then I'm always sure like when I go to bed, I don't have to go to the food room to get an extra snack or something like that. So that I always had enough food for my recovery in the evening. Yeah, because so sometimes like optimized. what you were saying before I think was like in a grand tour like oh, you, you really don't want to eat anymore you're so done with eating you have so you have to eat so much and then it's really nice that the nutrition gives you a plan like okay you really need to eat this because otherwise yeah you can do less but then the recovery gonna be yeah not so good yeah it's it is absolutely fascinating I mean um, it has changed so so much and how will that be executed actually in a race well will, will, will it be okay, here's your plan you commit it to memory or yeah. will the ds say every half an hour i remind you to eat amount so how structured is this because when you look at 
the dynamics of a race. Quite often, there are mo- you can't feed bang on every twenty minutes, half an hour. There's sometimes you no, you yeah, sometimes you have attacking. to play a little bit with it. But yeah, nowadays yeah. with the gels, they are so good. Like uh, you take it in uh, two seconds, you have it uh, open and um, and it's already uh, the papers are back in your pocket. So yeah. and, I, and I'm pretty good with eating quite a lot of gels on a day. I mean, I think I can eat like 10, 12 gels in a stage. Wow. So, yeah. So if you can do that, then it's pretty easy to do every 20 minutes, even if it's on a difficult part. It's like, whoop, gel it here. And here we go again. Okay. So you've got it completely dulled. You have a discipline. It's just part of your, your yeah. race is that you're every, every 20 minutes or yeah, so. Yeah, or like, yeah, it depends a little bit of the, of the plan. But or like if you have to do really, really high carb, then it's almost like every 15 minutes. If it's a flat day, then it's maybe only every 30 minutes. Uh, but yeah, nowadays you can put on your Garmin every 30 minutes an alarm that something pops up in your screen, like, oh yeah, little reminder. But normally sure. you have it also in your head, like you know uh, where you are and what you need to eat. Can you tell me, talking about blowing up, you know, people having the hunger flat, it, it doesn't happen as much, but it sometimes does. But when was the last time that you can remember when you really exploded, when you had the worst yeah, hunger flat of your life? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I, I, can't, I can't remember in the race, actually, that I had it, my last one. On training, uh, yes, but uh, um, in the race, I, I can't remember my last hunger flat, to be honest. So you're obviously very efficient then, mate. I mean, it did, but training is another one, isn't it? It's slightly generally more relaxed and yeah, it's quite especially common. at home. Like I always like try, uh, like to make my own. Also, the food what we have in the race that I also can make that at home. So, for example, last night I made the first time we have now crispy rice cakes. They are really good. Nice. And then I get the recipe from the from the team, and then I was making it last night at home. I have to say they were really good today. And so I like to train with the same food I have in the race then. Yeah, at home that you're always like used to it because I think yeah. a lot of people don't do that um, but yeah then sometimes at home you know when you go with a group you forget a little bit to eat and then you are like you're happy when you're at the coffee stop and then you yeah. almost eat the whole uh, <laughs> the whole bar in yeah. Italy <laughs> flipping heck flipping heck so okay we talked a lot about the, the nutrition side of it but what about the the way that races are being ridden, the tactical side of it. Clearly, when you look back at your results, you're clearly very strong. You, you, you can go well in the hot weather or the cold weather. Liège-Bastogne-Liège, one of a good example of you winning in awful, awful cold conditions. That's better. I can see your face <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, it's um, getting dark here. But um, w- what about, and, and when you look at your wins, quite often they've been from a small group. Yeah. Um, but you you clearly have a sprint because you don't look, let's be honest, you don't look like a, a guy that can sprint, but you can. You've got a pretty good kick. We know if, that. If I'm with some but, climbers, then uh, I'm pretty fast. Yeah. But I prefer not to yeah. say that because yeah, then you still so. can surprise them. But yeah, I think after the Velta, people are like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah. But what about the tactical side? Because racing has changed. So you have to mix things up tactically and rides are going earlier and earlier. Yeah. Do you enjoy the, the, strat- the strategic side of the sport? Because I think recently you've got to be even smart. You've got to be even stronger. You know, you've got to fuel right, but you've got to be really smart now. And also you've got to take risks. What, what, what do you think about yeah, from your I, perspective? I, I think for me, I don't do so many classics. You really saw it in the classics that, they, that the race goes really early open, especially in the, in the Flemish ones. So I think in the, in the Grand Tours is still, they go earlier, but I think not so, so much change. But the thing is we have now, like four riders, they are so outstanding that they, 
if they go, you know, like, yeah, now you have to go or you follow or, uh, or not. And sometimes you try to follow, but you can't follow. Yeah. That's a little bit uh, frustrating, but yeah. Yeah. But what about your, your race brain? Cause you, you do have clearly a pretty tactical brain. Yeah. I, that I, think something that, you- I think that's something you have or you don't have. I think you can learn, uh, you can learn it a little bit, but yeah, you also know it as an old rider. Like sometimes you just need to have that little feeling. Like, like for example, the the stage I won in the in the Vuelta. My plan was to go from Remco's wheel out of the corner, but that something happened there in front of me, and I was like, I just need to go. It was like split second, and then you make yeah. a decision. And I think okay, you also need to have the legs, but also like I don't know, sort of a feeling that you know when you have to go. Yeah, that's something you can't teach. I don't think. No, that's something just that's comes like, years so, or you have it or not, or maybe the experience. But yeah, some people always make the right decision, and some people always are just behind, just too yeah. late. It's. It, I, I remember that. Obviously, remember the finish and watched it, and because we know how quick Remco is, and uh, it was like, okay, this is this is interesting. Is he going to win like stage three or that would have been his fourth stage win? Yeah, I think, I think so. It? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. And it was already enough um, notary. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I like Remco, but hey, you know. Yeah. But it, it was good because there was so much pressure, pressure on him, but also pressure on you guys. But I remember there was a moment, I think what the BH guy maneuvered on the inside or something, and I, 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 he was ultimately third, but you took that initiative. And it. If I know it's easy to say now when you look back on it, but if you hadn't gone at that moment, you wouldn't have won it. It was just, that's what I love about this sport. You can be super, super strong, but sometimes... You just need to have that instinct, and that's the yeah. the wonderful thing that cannot be measured, mate. Can it? All, of all the all the things we've just been talking about that are measurable, instinct you cannot measure. It's no, just these no. moments, and I, that's what I love about cycling. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice thing of of sport in general, of course. Who who actually looking back at the start of your career in, in terms of riders that might have inspired you, or sporting, or, or people in sport that inspired you? Is there anybody that, that you look to when you're young? Yeah, you no, thought, really. Yeah, you when I started to follow did. cycling, was I, yeah, was at the Lance Armstrong uh, period. So yeah, yeah, then you were like me. Uh, oh, talk me. That's uh, yeah. a good rider, and and then you had Pantani and Ulrich, and but I was not really that kid that was really following pro cycling. Like when the tour was on, I really liked, and I remember had some uh, teammates in the club. They knew everything, like all the results, and yeah, I for me. I just wanted to ride my own bike. I wanted to make my own results. And I, I, yeah, I didn't really care about pro cycling, how they were doing. I just had fun and wanted to do, make my own results. So you, so basically you are the product of just yourself. You didn't want to be like anybody else. You just like went no, in. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah. At one point I knew I was sort of a climber. So yeah, then you yeah. were like, oh yeah, if I can become like, uh, as good as, uh, Lance Armstrong or Marco Montani, you were like, whoa, yeah. I mean, they were the best riders of the world at the moment. Um, but yeah, and, and, and then at one point when you get older, you get a little bit really the dream to be become a professional. I mean, if you go to children of uh, 12, 13 years old who play football or, or cycling, yeah, they all say they want to become pro, but yeah, because everyone is saying that. Yeah, yeah. And what was, can you remember your, what is your earliest memory of getting on a bike? Um, yeah, in the Netherlands, we were <laughs> really early on the bike. Yeah. So I, th- I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe four or five or something. 
No, okay. first, we in the Netherlands also have these bikes with the uh, side wheels. I don't know how to call them in English. Oh, yes, with stabilizers. Yeah, stabilizers, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know what, what age. My, I think my older brother, they took it off and I just rode away without it. I think that was a start. <laughs> that was a start. Yeah. And at what point then did you start to think, well, you're with your mates in the club, but you didn't really follow the sport too much. But at what point did you think, yeah, maybe... I could be a professional because I can remember that moment for me. But when did that happen for you? I think when I was around 15 already, 15, 16, because then I had to go to school and yeah, I'd, you know, you, you have to go to school till you're 18. So, uh, so yeah, there you go, of course. And then my father was always a little bit pushing like, ah, do your best on school because that's really important. And I was always like, yeah, but I'm going to become a professional bike rider anyway. So what are we going to do with school? <laughs> yeah, very naive at the moment. You're, you're, pretty, you're quite confident then. Yeah, yeah. I was really like, yeah, but I'm going to become pro, so no worries. But my older brother was also a really good rider. That's why I also started to ride my bike. And he uh, sure. he didn't make it. And uh, and I was always like, yeah, no worries. <laughs> so you went through school just having fun, not taking it maybe too seriously? Yeah, because you, I was taking it serious, but... Yeah, I was not like the the new uh, the new Einstein uh, there. No. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And then you just what was your th- the first team you, you you signed for? Then it was um, yeah, it was a, 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 a continental team. It called P three transfer Betavis. but it was like I was three years under twenty three, and that was the team that uh, became uh, Vakantselai. Ah, right. So that was really okay, nice, so, actually. Could, and then you, because you were with Vacon Slide for five years. Five years, you? yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it was Quick, quick step, step, one year. And then Sky. And then five years yeah. Sky. And now almost five years Bahrain. What's the um, different? I mean, you've been obviously Vacon Slide with Pro Conti first. Then they went up to World yeah. Tour, didn't they? Yeah. Just describe to me the differences in each team from an, from an, like an ideological yeah, point of I, view. I think. Uh, for Count's Life, really nice team because I started there like on the 23, uh, was Dutch speaking. So that was easy for me when I was younger. And yeah, it was a really nice team. I had a really nice time there. They gave me a lot of opportunities. Um, unfortunately, they, yeah, they had to stop because they didn't have a sponsor anymore. And I was just like a really nice team where I could do my own thing and, and, and yeah, to try to become a really good bike rider. Um, but yeah, we didn't have the knowledge what we have now, for example, like, uh, if you look back, you're like, what, it was pretty <laughs> low level, uh, yeah. how they helped you with everything. But I mean, that, that, I think the m- more teams were like that, of course, uh, in that time. And then I went to quick step. That was like the first big step. That was a pretty nice team. I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, it was only for one year because I really had a good time over there with, uh, with the Belgians and, yeah, everyone was so friendly and uh, I felt really, really good in that team. But yeah, it yeah. was only for one year. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Sky. Yeah, that was another eye-opener. That was uh, like almost you came in heaven. Everything was so good. <laughs> yeah, everything was so good organized. And I don't know, I, I felt straight away really welcome and everyone was really happy with me. And I... I also fitted in straight away really good in the group and straight away to the Tour de France. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was, was, was amazing. I, I, I did uh, yeah, four Tour de France with him and four of them they won. 
So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And then I also did with Chris, of course, the Giro Nevelta that he also won. So in total, I did seven Grand Tours there and six time in the winning team. So yeah, that was That's pretty, pretty cool, mate. Yeah, it was really cool. And yeah, that, yeah, Sky, yeah, that was yeah, super team, super organized, uh, everything for the riders. And yeah, that was a really nice period. And then I went to uh, Bahrain for more uh, own opportunities because yeah, with Sky, I was a little bit limited in the GCs always to work what I really didn't mind I really enjoyed that and I also don't uh, don't regret that but I, I was on the age that I was like if I don't uh, make the change now then maybe I'm gonna yeah. look back later and think like uh, what if and I didn't want to have that so yeah I got a really nice opportunity uh, in Bahrain and luckily it worked really well out uh, to reach my own uh, goals so uh, I was just going to, I was going to ask you when you were talking about Sky, it was it's essentially you were a domestique deluxe, but you did have wins, including a monument, you know, yeah, yeah, best yeah. On the age, yeah. which was, uh, I'm right. Yeah. It was Sky's first monument, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that at the moment, but uh, it was the first mon- monument of Sky. Yeah. It was also pretty nice to be part of that. It was, yeah. I mean, can you just describe that day as well? Because it was, I remember watching oh, it. It was really bad weather. So I remember cold, we did the Amstel Golf Race. Like you always have these three races in a row. And the Amstel, super nice weather. Uh, yeah. Then we went to uh, Flash, where I finished four. Still amazing weather. So I knew the legs were good. And then the um, uh, Liège and the weather was like, like, almost, uh, yeah, like so, so bad like snow, rain, cold, and then, oh, you have to go 260K on a bike. And I remember, the, for <laughs> me, the worst thing is if it's raining at the start. And the neutral yeah. in Liège is not super long, but also not really short. So you're, you're already a little bit cold. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like, oh, there's going to be a, a long, long, long day. But um, yeah, at the end, it went pretty well. Were you, were you the leader for that race? Because I, I, I can't, obviously can't remember what, no, team, I think, what, what was the actual uh, plan for you? Because it I was he, just, there weren't many left, were there? No, I think Kierkowski was, uh, Kierkowski and Fumi were the leaders <laughs> normally. But yeah, yeah, then turn into the race, yeah, Chris uh, was not so good. And then in the final, I was still there. And I think I remember that Kierkowski said, yeah, just do your own race. I don't feel amazing. So that was nice. And I did. Just, just describe it a bit more. Come on. <laughs> Coming into the final. Now, yeah, this, still- it always starts on Laredou there. Like, if you're still there, then you feel like, do we have some legs or not? Because it's still yeah. very hard after. And I went really well over that one. So that was perfect. So I was like, hmm, okay. That, uh, I never felt so good over Laredou. Um, yeah, and then you go to all the other climbs. And, and um, this year, they made a final a little bit different. Uh, because yes. you had that uh, couple climb they never did before. Yep. And so, yeah, we were going, uh, running into that. And then, um, I don't know who attacked, like three riders were, they attacked. And I was the last one who just could uh, manage to close the gap. Then on the top, we went left down and then you went to the old part again, like slightly up. And then we didn't have a really big gap, but I felt so good. And I remember that I throw my, gloves away because i had my gloves and i was like oh this is going to be the the sprint of my life so i need to be sure i can shift properly and everything yeah yeah, of course and then we went in that last corner to the left and i I made a really long sprint of it i think i went second or third in the corner and i went and uh yeah no 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 one uh, came over 
So uh, yeah, that uh, changed my cycling life also a little bit. That race. Oh, a little. I mean, yeah, yeah winning a monument like that. What, uh, it must have been just an amazing feeling. Can you can you remember a little bit about the yeah, feeling? Yeah, the finish was like so hectic. I, I didn't know what happened. It was also for me the first time, and all the media, all the people, uh, uh, press conferences, and all of of that stuff, and then also all the emotions uh, from myself because. In 2012, I had a really bad crash in the Tour de France. I was like two yeah. weeks in the intensive care. So then it was almost already like my career was almost over before it started. And yeah. then, you know, like uh, went to, yeah, went to Sky, such a big team. Yeah, and then you win, win a monument. Yeah, that's uh, unreal. And I also remember at the end, I uh, because I lived in the Netherlands at the moment, and my car was there. And then, you know, after the race, you jump in the car all alone and then you drive home. And then uh, suddenly hit on the radio, the, the news, the sport news. <laughs> that I won the yes. Yeah, it was pretty funny, you know. When you hit it, I was like, oh, that's, uh, that's nice. And, uh, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. Then you drive home and you're like, what just happened? And then I had a big, big party in the evening uh, with my fan club. They organized. I think the pop was uh, never so busy inside. So that was that's really, brilliant. really nice. Yeah. Oh, that's the one thing. The one thing I like about, well, racing is is the fact that a lot of riders, but do have fan clubs. I I I, I love that the, the fact that the, your your fan club organised. Yeah. Um, organised to do what? What, what was that? What was that like? I bet it was pretty boozy. <laughs> yeah, but there was like I never won. I never saw so many people in the in the pub, and it was on a Sunday <laughs> evening. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was really nice. Really nice. That's brilliant, mate. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, the next part of this pod, um, I did ask you when I when we were messaging earlier on where you were brought up, and it's can can you pronounce it for me so I, don't, I get it right? Blitterswijk. Blitterswijk. Yeah. Blitterswijk. Yeah. Correct. Okay. It's time now, well, for the Blitterswijk quiz. Cool. Yo yo, what's up? Y'all ready? Uh-uh. Let's do it. Ta-ta, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the British fake quiz. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So we've got four questions for you, Val. Um, but don't worry. They're multiple choice questions. So ah. you have four choices. So it's going to be, you know, you, if, if you don't know the answer, you can always have a guess. Now, I know that Blitterswijk isn't very big. It's a small village, isn't it? Um, yeah. Essentially, a small town. Um, so it was difficult to get too many facts. But oh. I have, oh, you've got, that's not, you can't phone a friend on this one, no, mate, yeah, I'm afraid. No, someone this... is uh, <laughs> phoning me. <laughs> the, ma- the major from Blitterswijk. <laughs> <laughs> He said, you better get these questions right, mate. Right. <laughs> right. I was going to ask you, what is the, the, the name of the mayor of Blitterswijk? But I don't know. I didn't ask you that one. So, <laughs> no. right. So question number one. Okay. Wout, what two colours are on the shield that is depicted in the flag of Blitterswijk? So in the flag of Blitterswijk, there's a shield. There's also a, um, a crown and a knight's helmet. But what two colours are on the shield? Okay. Is it A, yellow and red, B, black and red, C, grey and red, D, blue and red? Oh, I had something in my mind and I was not uh, in it. <laughs> Wait, say, <laughs> I thought it was yellow and black, but that's not an option. Then uh, yellow no. and uh, red. 
Which one was that? It, uh, that is a choice. It's grey and red, I'm afraid. Oh. It's grey and red. Mm. Yeah, sorry about that. So that's no points. But it's oh. okay, you've got plenty of questions. Three more questions, don't worry. Okay, yeah. Okay, here we go. How much does a Quattro Formaggi pizza cost from the takeaway menu of Il Moro Pizza and Pasta on a Herkenstraat 2 in the centre of Blitzschweig? <laughs> okay. Do you know the restaurant? Yeah, it's uh, from a fan club. So it's a pop. <laughs> yeah, so it's a pop and then they also have a pizzeria. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So you, hopefully you know the menu because I'm going to ask you a question on how much. So yeah. How much does a Quattro Formaggio cost? Okay, is it? I love the fact that this is your fan club place. This is brilliant. <laughs> is it A, 11 euros, B, 11 euros 50, C, 12 euros, or D, 12 euros 50 for a Quattro Formaggi I pizza? think 12.50, but to be honest, I always get everything for free there. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my fan club. Uh. <laughs> it's correct. It's 12.50. Well done. The, now I don't get the thing. Oh, yeah. It's a, you got it. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's a little bit so, a sad one, to be honest. When you <laughs> don't have a point, it's like... Uh, You've got a point now, mate. Yeah, don't worry. The special don't effect be has to get better for the point. <laughs> Here we go. So, that's correct. Right. Question three. On what road, just to the northwest of Blitzschweig, does the scout hut belonging to the scout group de Mullenberg sit. So they've got there's a the scout the scout uh, hut um, of the uh, de Mullenberg group yeah, I live, sits on what I live behind there. All oh, right, okay. So is it van Hamburgweg? Hey, there, there I lived. That was my street. That you lived on that street, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, we just uh, <laughs> sold the house a year ago, my mother. Really? Yeah, very sad. I'm still really sad about it. Oh mate, yeah. This, this is that's what that's what I love about small villages and towns. Generally, you're going to obviously, well, um, so you, no, it's not there. Is it Van Lindestraat, Langestraat, or Van Hamberweg? Um, I think the the Langstraat. You sure? Or the wait? Now I'm thinking. I never did the mail over there, eh? so... Uh... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the Langstraat or the... Which one was the Van other Lind one with the L? L Linderstraat. Yeah, I think that, that one. Correct. Yeah. Langstraat. There you go, mate. There. there you go. So you're on a roll now, mate. You're yeah, on a yeah, roll. Yeah, good, yeah. good, good knowledge. Okay. And you used to live on Van Hamburg. I was Brilliant. also part of the scouting before. When I was young. You were? Yeah, I think Fantastic. only one or two years. Okay. Also from okay. the football. In, okay. In that hut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. Because <laughs> oh, some people live somewhere only for a short time and they don't know, but then other no, people... No, I've grown up there. That's my village. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, you'd think that there'd be maybe a Walt Polstrat soon because you've won stages in two of the Grand Tours. Maybe if you win a stage in the Juro, they'll make a street nah, after you. I thought I would get one uh, this winter, but uh, yeah, I don't know what went wrong. Maybe you need to, maybe after this quiz, if you get one more question yeah, right, exactly, the mayor might exactly. give you a call. Okay, here we go. So the final question um, on the Bidderthrae quiz. Question four. According to the official census in 2022, 
what was the population of Blitterswijk? So in 2022, what was the population of Blitterswijk? And there's four choices. Was it A, 971 people, B, 998, C, 1,014, or D, 1,145? Think C. 1,014, you sure? Yeah. Okay. It's incorrect. Oi. Sorry, mate, but it, it is, in fact... Okay, okay, you can have one more choice. What do you think it is? 971998 or 1145? Think then uh, B. It's incorrect. It's 1145, mate. Yeah. Sorry, bud. But you got 50% right on the, yeah, the population. Yeah, population, eh? The, the, also, Blitterswijk is groaning. It is, indeed. Yeah. It is. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we just can we, uh, can we just get a round of applause from our audience, please? There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people really appreciate that. A lot of people from Blitzvik in the audience today, mate. Um, and we'll probably go for a drink after. Which yeah, that was good. So fifty percent, mate. And I love the fact you went to the Scouts and that your fan club of all the places I could have chosen to do read from the menu, it was your fan club. Yeah, That's but there's mate. only one place you can eat on it too. Also uh, at the uh, river. Oh, there's only two places. Yeah, yeah, there's like nothing. It's so small. <laughs> but, but still amazing place. And we have a church and a school. It is. The church is very, it's very, very old, actually. It's been rebuilt a couple of times, but it's very old. Yeah. But um, no, good stuff, mate. Well, I wanted to, before we wrap up, I wanted to just ask a couple more questions. And you've you, you talked to me about Wout B. Remco. Can we talk a little bit about Wout B. Wout? Yeah. Um, in the in the Tour de France, um, that was an an, an amazing day to uh, Saint Gervais Mont Blanc. I was there watching. Love what a beautiful location. But um, just describe what, what that was like, especially the last part of the day. Actually, going into that day, because we have to set this in some really important context, don't we? The team had already won two stages. No one. Gino Maida had G- Gino Maida had passed away, but you mm. had this before at the, the tour of switzerland and um it must have been quite can you just describe the the feeling in the team around that time because you were successful yet there was still sadness within the team what was yeah, that like it was really like a roller coaster also for myself because i had a yeah pretty good relation with gino but yeah also because my lineup to the tour was so bad i got sick on altitude camp i didn't really recover was really insecure if i was going or not and then everything with Gino happened. And then at the end, you go to the tour. So you're really like in so many yeah, mixed feelings all the time. Like you're yeah. happy you go to the tour, but you're also really sad that, yeah, that uh, Gino passed away. Uh, yeah, and if you go to a race, yeah, you have to focus and you have to go for it uh, because otherwise it's better to stay home because yeah, at the end, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of job you need to do over there. You also need to be focused, of course. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the the atmosphere in the team was, um, yeah, maybe it sounds weird. It was like, like, good, like, like, like not a nice vibe, but, you know, like we all respected each other. It was nice to be with sure. each other on the road. Also to still speak about Gino, because um, the thing is, we have a pretty special life, like traveling all over the world. Uh, sometimes yeah. you see more your teammates and your own family. And then it's also nice that you can, uh, yeah, share your thoughts with them because they feel almost exactly the same what 
but I do. So I think yeah. that's sometimes easier to speak about it. Like also like memories of, of Gino. I remember I was with Jack in the room and yeah, quite, quite often. Yeah. Uh, we still had stories uh, about him because yeah, you think a little bit more about it. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there was a little bit, uh, yeah, a really special tour for myself. And what about going into that stage uh, that you won then? What was the plan on that particular day? It was a super, yeah, another so, hard day. It was a- yeah, so the day before was also really hard and I tried to be in the break. I was in the break, but then Jumbo didn't want to let us go. Uh, so I, that caused quite a lot of energy. Uh, day before the last rest day. And I remember at the beginning of the start went went super fast and yeah, then you always have to look with... Uh, yeah you can't follow all the attacks and then luckily I made the right move to be in a break that's already sometimes a challenge to get in the right break yeah and then you have to make a new plan again and then you look around and then you see Wout van Aert uh, Soler uh, yeah uh, Dylan Turns uh, yeah it's a good group all, yeah all, <laughs> the, all these good riders yeah because you're in the tour of course so normally there are also no bad riders in the group but yeah, yeah. if you can pick then yeah I would prefer Wout van Aert not in. Um, so then you're like, hmm, yeah. But yeah, then you have to survive every climb. You, I, I always, yeah, make the race up then in little parts, like every climb, like, okay, now with this climb, survive this one, then up to the next one. And then, yeah, keep going uh, to the last climb. And then before the second last climb, Soler attacked. And then from, I thought, yeah, that's early, but yeah, he does quite often uh, pretty early attacks. And yeah. then uh, Van Aert went behind him and I saw him going and I was like, oh, I need to react because if he's going, then uh, yeah, that's like my ticket to the to the finish climb. So yeah. I really sprinted full gas behind him and I just could c- close it like on the limit and it, oh, that was yeah. so hard. But yeah, when you're in the wheel, you're in the wheel and then the, the downhill came. Um, and that went all good. Unfortunately, one rider crashed from uh, uh, from Israel. I forgot uh, forgot his name. Um, so then we were with three, and then I was like just full gas to the to the finish climb. And I knew the climb the first part because we did it in the Dauphiné a few years ago in the prologue. And I knew yeah. it was really steep, and I also checked on Villeview or everything. And then you start to think like, how can I win this stage? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, to beat him in a sprint may be difficult. Because he's pretty fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, can I drop him in the last part? I was not super steep. So I was like, hmm, I think he has enough power for that to follow. And it's Wout van Aert, of course. So then I thought I need to go in the steep part. But then it's still 11 kilometers to the finish. And in the, yeah, when we came there, like in a split second, I attacked. And when I attacked, I was like, oh, this is way too early. I regret it already, but I was like, yeah, now we started on it. So better keep going. And if he comes back, he comes back and then, then we see again. But yeah, I never saw him anymore. Two minutes you had in the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I never, I think the last gap I heard was one minute 10. And uh, yeah, because with all the people, all the emotion and everything. And I remember like, I was like, oh, maybe he's also doing like, you know, like negative split, like at the end that he comes like full gas or, yeah, I was uh, thinking of all the bad scenarios, but then also concentrating, of course, just like kilometer by kilometer and all these people. And uh, yeah, then at the end, uh, yeah, you win the stage. Yeah, amazing. 
because the last part was actually quite steep, wasn't it? The, the last little kick up, yeah, last yeah. few hundred meters. Well, very, very steep in yeah. fact. But that must be hard to juggle the, as you say, concentrating on your own effort, making sure you don't react too much to the adrenaline. Because when people are calling your name at the tour, I mean, you've got all this adrenaline coming, and also yeah. being aware that the person that's pursuing you is Wout van Aert and you can never write him off, you know? No, no, um, no that's so the thing. Was, like, like you look on your power meter also, not all the time, but just sometimes to check because sometimes you have it in the TT when you start, you go full gas and you see like, whoa, 500 watts. You're like, yeah, I'm never going to yeah. do this for 30K because uh, this, yeah. <laughs> is my capacity power. So you really yeah. like, yeah, especially when you say with all the people, you get like really like a boost from it. But yeah, not uh, for 11K, of course. So you really have to <laughs> concentrate and like not overpace, but also not go too slow because uh, yeah, it's about van art behind you. Yeah. And then yeah. it was growing like 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30. And when I got 40, I was like, okay, this is, uh, this is going well. So yeah. yeah and then, and the uh, mo- yeah. And the moment that you realized that you'd won, um, obviously you crossed the line, but when did you realize I've got I, this? At what point could you start? I think only in the last corner it? to the left, like the last few hundred okay. meters, I, I almost couldn't believe it because I was like, oh, maybe they come from the back, but we had so much time in front of them. But, you know, with, with Finnegard and Pogaccia, they, uh, I was like, maybe they have these special days again that they roll up everyone on the last climb and uh, yeah. you just don't win. So I was like going flat out, yeah, till the, till that corner. And then I knew I had it. That's fantastic. I mean, and that was your first stage win in the Grand yeah, Tour, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it was so nice, especially the Tour, like, but I said before, I, I didn't really care when I was young about professional cycling, but the only thing where you were following was the tour. Yeah. So yeah, then you always dream from that. Like, okay, at one point I knew, okay, maybe I'm not going to win the whole thing, but maybe one stage also would be nice. Yeah. And here it is. And then, like I said, a couple of months later, you've already described it, taking a stage in the Vuelta. So what does that leave you for 2024 then for this season? You've, you've okay. Um, well, I saw actually. It looks like you're going to do the the Giro yeah. and the Tour um, for stage wins to ride for the team. What is your role within the within so the squad? So for the, you, you... the Giro, I go for sure. If, if I stay on the bike, don't get sick, of course. Uh, the Tour is like a question mark. I think I'm now on the long list, but we will see. But my okay. my my big big goal is like to win a stage in the Giro. I want to have uh, yeah. in all the Grand Tours a stage. I think that's really nice on my. Uh, Palmares and I think yeah not so many riders have that and I think it's a really good opportunity now to go for it and it also keeps myself really motivated to train really hard and uh, yeah next to that also like what I did the last few years helping the team if they need me like uh, in the Vuelta what I did for Volander on the Anglirua just like yeah pulling as hard as I can Uh, yeah helping uh, the GC riders from the team and then uh, take my own opportunities in a break. Fantastic. I mean, that would be, well, would be amazing, wouldn't it? So I guess yeah. all of your focus, although you've got those the long list for the tour, the focus must be almost, you forget about the tour, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's now like full, the Giro in the full, best shape. full go to the Giro. And then uh, what happened after we see then? Yeah. I mean, you've been, I think it's fair to say, well, isn't it? Given, given the wins that you've got over the years, and now two wins quite late in your career. Yeah. Um, you are a don- like a. We, what would you, how would you describe yourself as a rider? Because I often refer to it, especially when we see you doing what you did, you know, with with Chris Froome back in the day with Sky, and now with with Mikel just a few months back. 
a domestic deluxe because you can clearly put yourself in, you can really sacrifice yourself for others. You seem to be, there's a lot of riders that can do that, but there's a particular breed of riders who are exceptionally good and can raise their game at the most important moments. Would you put yeah, yourself in that category? I, I think the, the, the good thing from what I have is with, if I have to ride for riders like Chris, of course, and, and also G and, and Mikael, it's like, I don't know. I think I also have a little bit of feeling for that to pull, you know, you have pulling and pulling like some people when they need yeah. to pull, they think they need to go flat out. But then you yeah. go way too hard sometimes for your leader because you also yeah. have to think like if I pull now and I drop in a few K, then you still have to do 8K to the finish. So yeah, I mean, if I go capacity, then maybe for them it's not like super capacity, but way over threshold. So yeah. they they burn themselves also already then. So I think I have a really good feeling also for that when, when I need to work for someone that I know, yeah, to find a little bit, how you say that, the, the sweet spot, like the perfect pace to yeah. drop the orders and, and, and keep your leader still sort of okay. Yeah, that's a that that skill is something that we talk about skills that you can teach, better descending, learning about tactics, but that skill to be able to understand a teammate, also un, understand, you know, how they operate what their kind of levels are at and also their emotional state as well. You know, when you look, you see a rider, a leader that's on a good day or on a mm-hmm. bad day, you've still got to be there for them. And yeah, normally if I look back and I look in their eyes or, with, or just to the body language and I know a little bit what time yeah. it is. <laughs> what yes. I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's thing is that that is a skill, isn't it? And that's massively important. And, yeah. and then within that, there's the trust, isn't there? That, that, and you often see when I'm commentating, verbal communication but quite often with the best riders there's none they just no, understand no, no. i mean if someone have to scream all the time to the to the domestic rider to or to slow down or speed up but if you all the time have to scream that you slow down then you know they're not not good but they then they also start to get irritated with you yes so th- yeah that also then it almost yeah you get a, like a negative effect and then yeah like the whole benefit of pulling or whatever it's a little bit gone then because they are more like, what the hell is he doing? Like, why well, he doesn't go a little bit slow down? If I say, if I scream slow down, 10 seconds, he does it. And then he goes to the pace from before. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an art form really, mate, isn't it? It's a, it's a real art form to be able to do that. I'm an, um, I'm an artist. <laughs> you are an artist, mate. <laughs> well, we're running out of time, mate. It's, do you know what? It's been um, an, an absolute pleasure having you on it's it's been so wonderful over the last few years to uh well actually i remember one of the most significant moments apart from in the lift in the tour of britain <laughs> yeah was was in mallorca when i was with gcn you you were with sky and i i massaged one of your legs do you remember ah, yeah 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 just one leg i just did one leg and then you went then you won liege a yeah, few months so later maybe come again uh, to a race <laughs> in the giro i'll do the other i do the other leg before the giro yeah yeah, yeah. it would be nice yeah 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 then at least, uh, yeah, then it's just riding and then uh, just picking a stage, exactly. no? Exactly. It's nice and easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Best of luck uh, to you and the rest of your team for the 2024 season. Cheers. And I'll no doubt see you on the road. I'll be at the Tour. I'll be at the Juro. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. It's been, uh, it's been really enjoyable. You take care of yourself. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Bye.
What a lovely chat I had with Walt. That really was a lot of fun. My favourite Walt to ever have on the podcast so far. Best luck at the Giro, mate, and I hope you have an amazing season in 2024. This podcast was produced by Noel Gaffney on behalf of Hot Chili. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to the Welt Poles fan club? You can find all 1,145 of them having a party in the local pizzeria. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye. <laughs>